our self-worth, uh, it can be a, and Stephen hit on this very well this morning, I thought, it's a tricky balance for me to think about, okay, how do I say, or how do I, I say I'm, I'm supposed to value myself? Uh, because right away, you know, uh, especially in this audience, you know, when you've got folks that are fairly familiar with what the Bible says, when somebody says you have to value yourself, you know, a flag wants to shoot up and say, no, we're not supposed to think anything about ourselves. You know, it's all about God. And and I think Stephen kind of brought that out or, or tried to show us that balance of, of, of what, what he's really talking about. When we think about our worth, we're not talking about valuing ourselves uh, physically. It, we're talking about valuing ourselves spiritually and realizing that we're of value to God, right? And that, that's really what I'm going to try to develop that. Um, I think this idea of self-worth, because, you know, we're humans, uh, what do humans typically think about themselves for the most part? Now, there's some, there's some exceptions to this, but generally, what do you, we think about ourselves, good or bad? More than you should. Yeah, more than we should. I think everybody would, would most of the time fall in that category that we think better of ourselves or more about ourselves than we really should, right? Uh, and, and when we say that, we're really talking about uh, in regards to physical things a lot of times, but that can, can translate sometimes into our spiritual state, that we, we think we're in a better state than we really are. We think we've got it all... Uh, figured out when when we need to be looking to God's word and letting God's word tell us uh, really where we are. Uh, I think generally we don't have any trouble looking out for our own interests, do we? That comes pretty natural. At least it does to me. Uh, you know, we we want to look out for the things that are valuable to us. Uh, we want to look out or go after things that are good for us that are going to help us or help me. You know, I want to pursue something that's going to be good for me. Uh, we do that physically all the time in the world, don't we? And, and as Christians, uh, we're really told that that's not supposed to be our aim. Uh, in the physical realm, we're supposed to pursue things that are good for others, right? Uh, in the spiritual world, we're supposed to, to pursue things that are good for us and for others. And, and that's what Stephen talked a lot about. Um, I think... When you consider the commandments or the, the things we see in the New Testament, a couple of things, and Stephen had uh, both of these thoughts in his lesson, but, but think about God and Him knowing that it's generally our nature to look out for ourselves. What commandments uh, did Stephen bring forth? or what, what passages did he bring forth that kind of shows that God understands our, our tendency is going to be to look out for ourselves? That may be a confusing question. I want you to look out for your neighbor uh, yeah. in the same way. As yourself, right? I mean, second greatest commandment. You've got God saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he's pointing, in, by saying that, he's, he's understanding or acknowledging that we're going to look out for ourselves, uh, that that comes natural, at, but we need to look out for others like we look out for ourselves. Um, the passage in Ephesians 5 about husbands loving their wives as their own bodies. Again, you know, uh, pointing to the fact that, you know, we have some, uh, I guess, motivations to look out for ourselves or we look out for ourselves and, and are supposed to be able to look at what we would do for ourselves and, and use that to guide us in how we treat others. Um, we, we tend to pursue 
again, the things that are good for us in this world. Uh, and, you know, what I want to talk about some this morning is being sure we pursue the things that are good for us spiritually. Um, and for us to do that, just like Stephen's lesson said, we have to have some concern for our own souls. Uh, we have to love our souls enough our, uh, to do what's best for our souls. Uh, and I think sometimes we can, we can neglect to do that uh, and, and, and not do the things that are best for us. And that's something we all have to work on. I think for us to get to that point, um, we need to realize how valuable we truly are to God. And there was a couple passages that, that came to mind uh, when I think about that. One is, is well, both of them very familiar to us here, but, you know, God so loved the world that He gave His Son for us, right? So that right at face value uh, tells us the value that we have to God. He was willing to give His only Son as a sacrifice uh, because He loved us and wants us to have the forgiveness that He offers. Uh, the passage in 1 Corinthians 6 that Stephen brought forth about us being bought with a price uh, is another passage that comes to mind that shows us that we are truly valuable to God and um, that He's paid a price to redeem us. You know, we've talked about the concept in here before of redeeming, what it means to be redeemed. There's a, there's a price paid. Uh, it's not... Uh, something that just happens is something that, that was costly uh, and a price had to be paid. <clears throat> you know, there's, there's a couple of different ways I wanted to think about this. Um, the, I guess the first way, and this is really for someone uh, who is not a Christian. Uh, us as Christians need to be able to talk to uh, and persuade those who aren't Christians. Need, they need to be persuaded to the fact that they are valuable to God uh, and that God has done something for them. And uh, I think, you know, in the society we live in, for the most part, I think people uh, have some understanding of that. But you will, on occasion, run across people uh, who are so wrapped up in sin or have done so much in their life uh, wrong that they, they really don't feel any worth. Uh, they don't feel like God would even want them because they've, they've, in their minds, messed up to the point that there's no way that God would even want them. They, they can struggle with forgiving themselves, uh, and so they, they can struggle with the idea that anyone else uh, and even God would be able to forgive them. And so we need to be able, I guess, be conscious of that. Uh, I, you know, I don't... I would say I've probably run across that a couple of times, but it's not very common. Uh, some of you may have run across that more than I have. But um, what, what was Paul doing? If you turn over to Acts chapter 17, and, and thinking about this idea of realizing and appreciating what's been done for us and, and how we need to be able to persuade people who may not believe that or, or may not... Uh, have that strong that, that idea in their head you know Paul we see him trying to persuade in Acts chapter 10, uh, 17 uh, the people of, of Athens there where uh, starting in verse 22 let me get there you know this is all again uh, stuff we're familiar with but 
Paul, in being in Athens, notices that uh, you know there's idols everywhere. And he starts off saying, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're religious. Uh, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. And, and as you read through the things that he tells them there, uh, he's trying to, to persuade them or get them to understand who God is and, and what it is that God has done uh, for mankind and, and what response there should be to that. And um, <clears throat> I feel like he does the same thing in Acts chapter 26 in talking with King Agrippa. You know, he again there goes through uh, what God has done and, and, and he's trying to persuade Agrippa obviously to become a Christian, but he's trying to persuade him to come to believe that, that he is of some value to God and that uh, there's a response that is required to take advantage of the things uh, that God has done there. And, and we see that you know, Agrippa doesn't, doesn't seem to do that. But um, you know, Again, for, for someone who is not a Christian, um, I guess they have two things possibly going on in their head. They either really aren't concerned about God or they don't feel like uh, the, the, the things uh, that God has done for them, they don't feel like their state is such that they need to be concerned about what God has done for them. And, and it's incumbent upon us to try to persuade them that they do. And if they really do care about themselves and their souls, uh, that, that they'll realize that and come to believe that. Um, You know, that's one side of the coin. Uh, for someone who's never become a Christian, I guess needs to be persuaded that they they got to care enough about themselves to become a Christian. But for those of us who are Christians, uh, we've already had, you know, some level of understanding of that or we never would have become a Christian, right? Um, I think we do realize that we're valuable to God as Christians, but I think sometimes uh, we may feel like we're not useful or we don't realize God has a use for us. And that's what I want to spend the remainder of our time uh, talking about is that if we don't have uh, the realization that we're valuable to God and useful to God, uh, then that's an area we need to improve on and realize God has a purpose for us, a use for us, and he expects us um, to be doing the things that he tells us to do. Do you have something? In the, uh, when we think about her, the whole idea of uh, self-worth or the opposite, I guess, self-loathing or whatever you, you would, uh, a lot of times tie those things back to pride and humility. Mm -hmm. You know, those things t tend to be tied back together a lot in the way we think about them. And, uh, you know, the pride that causes sin, prevents repentance, um, uh, separates men from God. Uh, kind of versus maybe you could say the humility that um, thinks that I'm not worth enough to be valuable to God. You know, you've got right, right. maybe in the world, but the, um, you know, the, I guess, kind of the prevention of pride when you start chasing this trail about establishing 
this worth is that you know you realize I think maybe you're going there talking about usefulness but not only are you created um, by a creator but you're created for a purpose by the creator you know you, you're, you're basically like a you know a tool to do his work or whatever in other words that as a created right, right. purpose mm-hmm. um, you realize that none of those things are in and of yourself you see what I'm saying the words that uh, really I guess the, the the balance or protection against this idea of pride is this realization that um, whatever worth uh, that's established there was established by God in the beginning, you know, as he... Right, that's right, not of yourself. Even even beyond just maybe this price that was paid for you, but like it sounds like where you're going is this idea of the purpose that you're even here. Right. You're here to do these good works, I'm sure, like I said, it seems like probably where you're going with it, but... Yeah, it is. The origin is is you're created and that your value in no way is in and of yourself should be some defense against this idea of pride where you can still embrace the idea of some value. Right. Right. So so in our I guess in our secular jobs or whatever we do in life, what what makes you feel valuable? Alright? Somebody answer that. What, what you can do. What you can do, what was another answer? Being appreciated makes you feel valuable. Uh, the, what you can do or the things uh, that you're able to accomplish or achieve towards a goal, right? Uh, what else? What would make you feel valuable to your employer? Not just a raise. So. Well, to some degree, that payment, you know, like the payment of salvation at the end. Right, the right. Of that, you know, the great worth of it, to some degree would generate some value in your mind. Right. Have you ever, has anybody in here ever been in a situation or, or been doing something that you didn't feel like was useful? I, I mean, I have it where you, you just feel like, man, I don't, this is not, it doesn't even feel useful. You know, I'm not, I'm not accomplishing anything here. Um, when you don't feel useful, at least myself, when I don't feel useful, I don't feel like I'm, I'm very valuable to what it, whatever the situation is, right? And that, I think, at least I, myself, I can relate to that, and, and that's not a good feeling. That's not something that I like to feel. Did somebody, Stephen or Gary, I thought I saw one of y'all say. I was going to say okay. the same thing. You know that the work that you're putting in is valuable, and there's a point to it all. Right, right. And so in our jobs, if, we, if we're doing something that we know is accomplishing a good thing, that is pleasing to our boss, that is, a, you know, again, accomplishing the purpose that, that has been set forth, we feel valuable and we feel much better about that and, and we're much more motivated in doing that generally. And um, I think the same thing goes for uh, our spiritual work, if you want to call it that, or our, our lives as Christians. And, and fortunately, we can see all of that in scriptures. You know, we can, Stephen looked at a, at a ton of stuff about how God values us and that there's a purpose for us and, 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 and we're useful to Him. Andrew? I was just thinking about the, you know, we were talking about the payment and the reaping and sowing. And I believe it's in Galatians where he talks about the, you know, what's every man sowed that he loves mm-hmm. reaping, that we. We reap a whole lot 
uh, we sow a lot more than we reap when it comes to good things because you know we, we only do so little in the grand scheme of things that, that's good and we don't deserve heaven that, right that we're given and you know think about that in worldly terms we may or may not be undervalued or overvalued where we work but we're we're always getting more than we're worth from god right that's exactly right that's a good point it's a uh very lopsided deal, you know. Here, here on Earth, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, you know, one of the dangers I think for us, if we don't uh, understand this or or don't feel valuable and useful, uh, is that it can it can stifle our service to God in His kingdom. It can keep us from from stepping out there and doing things that God wants us to be doing and being busy about His work. And I, I felt like we could you can see this. Uh, Angela and I tried to think of, of some examples, and Moses is the first one that pops into your head you know, with the burning bush, right? Uh, flip back there to, to Exodus chapter 3, and, and thinking about this idea of not feeling useful or valuable and how it can stifle us doing what God wants us to do. This was the best example I thought of. There's some other ones I've got that I guess if you can think about it the right way, maybe you can see what I'm saying. But uh, in Exodus chapter 3, and we're all very familiar with this story, uh, but I just wanted to look at these verses of every time Moses tries to you know, get out of doing this, really. Uh, in, cha- in chapter 3, verse 11, Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You know, so Moses is saying, you know, I'm not the guy for this. Uh, he Again, in verse 13, Moses says to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Uh, and so, you know, Moses, again, showing this hesitation uh, that he doesn't feel like he's the guy for the job. In chapter 4 and verse 1, uh, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Uh, And then verse 10 again, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord God, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Uh, And then verse 13 Finally, Moses just comes out and says it. He says, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. You know, so over and over again, Moses, we see this hesitation, and whether it's through his, you know, extreme humility uh, or through fear, uh, you know, we don't really know what it is, but we, we see here that Moses is really not wanting to do this and, and trying to find a way to not do this, uh, and, and that he doesn't seem to have it in his head that he can be useful to God and that God expects him to be useful and God's trying to get him to be useful and, and to do something for God. Um, and, and God, you know, in verse 14 says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he's coming out to meet you. Uh, when he sees you, his heart will be glad. And so... You know, this almost finally seems to frustrate God and anger him that Moses is, is not realizing God wants him to be useful and there's a, something God expects him to do. Uh, you know, God told him what to say. And he said, and God said to Moses, I am. Tell him that I am. 
Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so, you know, our our usefulness to God, we have to have in our head, not that we're just doing stuff God wants us to do because He said us said for us to do that, and if we don't, we're going to be in trouble with God. That that shouldn't be our only motivation for obedience, right? Our our motivation as we mature as Christians and as we gain a better understanding of of God and, and what He's done for us and a better appreciation of what He's done for us, our motivation is really supposed to turn into wanting to be useful for God, you know, wanting ourselves to be a benefit for God that we can help bring about His will and, and do the things that, that He wants us to do. And that, again, I think that's something that comes with maturing as a Christian. You know, uh, initially, again, you, you start out doing what's right so you don't get in trouble for not doing it right. But you, you're supposed to grow and get to the point where you're doing what's right because you, you're going towards that goal God wants you to go towards and you're fulfilling that purpose that He's laid out for us. And um, you know, Again, I think that's something that, that we can all grow towards and, and have to stay focused on, on growing into that. Any thoughts or comments? thinking about how, you know, some of us, not, you know, we all have different skills and different talents that we bring to the table, and I think we do need to remember that there's nothing wrong with a Christian finding where they're best suited right. for, for the work in the congregation, for example, and just mm-hmm. with that, willing to try other things, willing to go beyond that, willing to grow, but... Um, I just think that's something to think about there. That maybe maybe kind of a balance there. Yeah, no, that's that's my yeah, no, that's my next point. Uh, no, that's great. Uh, that's great. You know, the the other two examples that I had besides Moses was of people who were, uh, I guess, hesitant to do what God said because maybe they didn't have a full understanding or realization that they could be useful. You think about Gideon. Uh, in Judges 6 and the, the story about the fleece um, and basically you know it's some of the same I guess tone there when you read that is, is what, what I feel like you you see in uh, in what we looked at with Moses of, of Gideon basically well how can I be of use or how can I accomplish that right uh, <clears throat> And then, you know, also even before that in Judges uh, chapter 4, the story of, of Barak and Deborah and, and Deborah telling Barak, God's, you know, telling you gather the army, he's going to be with you. And Barak being hesitant to do that without Deborah being there. Uh, and so, again, those two uh, maybe don't fit or not quite as strong of, of illustrations as, as the story of Moses there, but... Uh, uh, just trying to say or, or show that we have to have in our head or we have to mature to the point to where we realize we can be useful for God and, and that we want to be useful for God. Uh, that's something that we see clearly portrayed uh, in the Scriptures is that we need to be busy you know, being used up in His service, right? Um, we're oftentimes referred to as God's servant. And is a servant someone who doesn't have a purpose or doesn't have things to do? It's not. You know, when you, when you hear the word servant, you understand they have 
a servant has things to do. They're supposed to be accomplishing things. They're supposed to be useful. Uh, and, and when they're not, that's not pleasing to the master. And so all of those illustrations uh, that we see portrayed in the New Testament about us being servants, you know, you know that God expects us to be useful and, and uh, helpful and to, to be doing those things that he tells us to do. You know, Jesus uh, left us an example of that. You know, we're told he came to serve. He showed that in his examples uh, while he was living on this earth. Uh, he taught that to his disciples. It's shown to us throughout scriptures. Uh, Stephen talked about uh, this idea of losing our own lives uh, to serve God. Uh, what is Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13? Galatians 5 and 13, uh, again talking about our purpose. Galatians. It says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Uh, for this... For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and so again, Paul bringing out there to the Galatians that one of our purposes, one of the ways we're useful to God is by serving uh, one another. And that, uh, when you think about that, that that's pretty it, neat to me and, and shows me, you know, that, that that's something that's from God that, you know, very often the, our usefulness to God our service to Him is doing what? It's doing good to others. Uh, it's not doing good for ourselves, right? But, but, you know, it's like this endless circle. We do good to others, and by doing that, we're really doing good for ourselves. We're really doing the things that God wants us to do, and that is of benefit to us. And so, um, you know, again, all, all of that really to me kind of shows uh, the wisdom of God and, and the the things that he has told us to do being for our good always. Uh, even though they're directed at others, oftentimes they end up being for our good also. Uh, Stephen brought up, uh, it was a good segue into my, my final point about this, about our usefulness in our service to God. Uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 12, we see this... Uh, This section here about Paul and talking about gifts, uh, and basically, if you if you kind of translate that in or, or think about that in our terms today, understanding that some of these gifts that Paul mentions here, you know, have <laughs> have passed away and are no longer going on, we can we can still <clears throat> understand that that what Paul is saying, starting in verse 20, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 20, where he says, Now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. 
But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Okay, and so in thinking about being useful to God, uh, we can understand, and that, that's what Stephen was alluding to, we can understand that God's given each of us different things that we're good at, right? Um, and, you know, sometimes we have to kind of figure that out. Uh, sometimes it's by trial and error that we figure out that's something I'm good at or that's something I'm not very good at. Uh, and so we kind of have to, to, as individuals, figure that out and, and work towards that, uh, trying to grow in new areas, doing things that God wants us to do, uh, but also with patience, understanding that, that God did not make us all the same. He didn't make us all good at the same things. And, and you can see from what we read there, you know, His design is, is perfect in that He's made it all to where it's supposed to work together as one body, which each part fulfilling uh, its role. I think sometimes we can easily convince ourselves, you know, just like Moses was saying, that I'm not the best one for that. Right? That that's uh that's something we can easily convince ourselves of, and sometimes that may be true. You may have learned you're not the best one for that. Uh, and sometimes that may not be true. You may may not even know if you're the best one for that. You may not have tried to do that yet, and so. Uh, though, you know, it's two different ways we have to think about that. You don't, you don't continue doing something that, that you realize you just, you, that's not the gift God has given you, but, but it's, it is good to try to grow and improve in things. I just wanted to add to that. I'm not so sure that Moses' mindset was like, I'm not the best one for this. I think his mindset was almost disrespectfully like, I'm not. The one to do it right. It very well could have be. been, whether through fear or whatever. Right. Yeah. It just I'm not the yeah, one the for this. Kind of mindset. You know, mm-hmm. We always need to be willing to try to do something. Right. But I think what you're saying is very spot on. All right. In in First Peter uh, chapter four, I think we see this again about each one of us uh, having a. Uh, different part to play if you want to say it like that. First Peter chapter 4 starting in verse 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. And so, you know, again here I feel like we see Peter saying the same thing Paul was saying back in in the letter to the Corinthians, uh, maybe saying it in a way that, that... you know, really drives it home for us as Christians today that we all have 
uh, things that we can do, that, that God uh, has created us to do, things that, uh, gifts that He has given us, and that we need to be busy about using those things and, and, and being useful for God in the kingdom. Um, we can't always be letting ourselves off the hook you know, by saying that's, my, my, that's not my talent when we hadn't even tried uh, to see if that is something we can be good at. And I think uh, Stephen Russell in our meeting, uh, one of the nights, uh, I think it was in talking about hospitality, you know, that you, this, this taking a step out there uh, to get to know our brethren, uh, even, you know, when it may be someone we, we feel like we don't have an immediate connection with uh, through other ways, because we are brethren, you know, that's, that's something God tells us to do and to, to be willing to put ourselves out there and, and to uh, pursue that, even though it may not be uh, natural for us. Any, that's really all I had. Is there any comments or thoughts or ideas that maybe something I could have put in here that I didn't think of? Right, right. And I mean, I guess I'm going to pick a little here, but Corey, I think about sometimes what he does about the things he has to go through and think, you know, trying to serve as a Christian. But to me, he sets a good example of what I may not see as an adult. Right, right. To me, that's encouraging. Stephen and I had, sorry, Stephen Russell had the opportunity was talking about sometimes we see at the FC camps or the rescue youth camps or things that kids, you know, things that they often do that we we as adults forget to do. Just their encouragement. Right, right, and and that's a good reminder to us, right? And I mean that's a perfect picture of each uh, member doing his part, right? Uh, and how you know whether it's a, a small thing or a great thing. You know, I think. A lot of times when, when somebody gets up here like I'm saying and say, well, you, need, you know, you need to be using your talents, immediately some, your mind goes to, well, maybe I need to teach a class or something like that. And that's not all of what it is by any means. There's a ton of other things that, that God expects us to be doing, whether it's, serve, you know, a lot of times through serving others uh, is really what it is and, and helping to take care of the needs of others and encouraging others, uh, all of those type things. Are, are just as important and just as much a part of, of the body's function as a whole as, as the teaching is. So.